This is Macro Horizons, UK election flashcast, The Danger Zone, presented by BMO Capital Markets. I'm your host, Margaret Karens, here with Stephen Gallo from our FIC Macro Strategy on the ground in London. The views expressed here are those of the participants and not those of BMO Capital Markets, its affiliates or subsidiaries. The Brexit deadline has been postponed to January 31st. The UK is holding a general election on December 12th. At midnight on November 6th, the UK Parliament will shut down ahead of the election. While Brexit is the key issue, economic reforms are also center stage. In terms of Brexit, if the Conservatives win a majority, Boris Johnson will push the deal that was reached with the EU in October through. On the other hand, Labour wants to renegotiate the Brexit deal with the EU and possibly hold another referendum. Stephen, can you set the stage for us in terms of what we should expect over the next month? What is the mood like in the UK and what are the key issues? The first thing that is very evident to me, if you look at the polls, if you look at the news coverage, most people in the country want Brexit resolved. They want to put an end to this. In fact, if you look at the performance of the UK economy over the last three years or so, it hasn't been great. But what has been remarkable is that, at least until now, we've avoided an outright recession. So given the degree of uncertainty stemming from Brexit and given the number of people that want Brexit resolved, it's amazing that the performance of the economy hasn't been even worse. But What does stand out, if you take a step back and look at the longer term picture for the UK, what stands out is that the economy and also the political system, I would argue, is badly in need of reform. And getting Brexit over the line offers an opportunity for that type of renewal and for that reform to happen. It's not clear, at least not to me, that EU membership has been a massive boost for economic growth in the UK, just like it's also not clear that leaving the EU will either be massively negative or massively positive over the long run. What is going to determine the success or not of the UK economy over the next decade or so is the amount of economic and political reform that a government is able to push through. And when I'm talking about economic and political reform, I'm talking about reform of the National Health Service, a new industrial strategy for the economy, targeted fiscal policy, apprenticeship schemes to limit skills mismatches in the labor market, reform of the House of Lords, so constitutional reform, reform of the court system. We know that the minimum wage will probably rise in this country regardless of who comes to power after December 12th. If wages are going to continue to rise, then that means productivity needs to keep pace with wage increases. There are a lot of hurdles ahead. And so the quicker that the country can resolve Brexit, the quicker the country can move on and tackle these challenges. So, Stephen, you mentioned these challenges and the elections are quite late in the year, right in front of the holiday season. How do you think that this will impact turnout? I would say turnout in this election is a very big uncertainty factor, of course, with the election being on December 12th. We have the holidays coming in December. Weather could be a factor. Both of those things could effectively create voter apathy. And if fewer voters turn out than planned in order to vote, that could be negative for both the Labour and the Conservative Party. And it would obviously raise the risks of an inconclusive result or, as we say, a hung parliament. 
Interestingly, that there has been a trend in voter turnout in this country that was, I would say, between the early 1990s and the mid 2000s downward. We got to a low point in voter turnout of around 59 percent in 2001. It's been on a steady uptrend since then. In the 2017 snap election, the voter turnout was about 68 percent. One would think given the issues at stake in this election, that voter turnout could easily surpass the 70% mark. But of course, because this is going to be a December election, that voter turnout is more uncertain than it otherwise would be. Therefore, that makes this election more difficult to call in terms of the final result. So Stephen, you spoke a bit about the the deep economic reforms that are key in this election and of course Brexit. How great is the divide between the party lines and how might this impact the election results? I think what's very clear in this election in terms of economic policy is that at least in recent history, there has never been more of a clear dividing line between the left and the right. The closest thing that I can think of in terms of elections to the 2019 election would be the election of 1983, where you had a far left-leaning Labour Party, you had a liberal alliance in the centre, which was attempting to grab most of the centre ground, and then you had the right wing, the Conservative Party, led by Margaret Thatcher, which clearly won that election. On balance, there was a net positive swing in favour of the Conservative Party, and they grabbed more seats than Labour. I think, in fact, Labour lost seats at that election. But the point is that you never really had as clear of a dividing line on economic policy in recent memory. You have to go back quite a way to find that dividing line. But of course, the main thing which separates this election from all other elections is the Brexit factor. And the Brexit factor is one reason why this election is very difficult to call. And it's also one reason, I think, why the polls are sending conflicting results. And what I mean by that is if you look at the current average of the polls for Westminster voting intentions, what they show is that probably the Conservatives will walk away with a small or a modest but workable majority. However, other polls, which of course ask different questions, suggest that there's going to be a large drop or shock to the system in terms of the number of votes cast for the two largest parties, Labour and Conservative. And that would suggest that if the Liberal Democrats and the Brexit Party are going to pick up those votes, that you have to expect that there is a high risk of a hung parliament or an inconclusive result to this general election. So, Stephen, you're talking about the potential for some pretty big swings here. One thing that we've also been hearing about is the UK's first past the post voting system. Can you explain this system and the potential impact that that might have on these elections? The UK operates what is known as a first past the post system, which effectively means that the candidate or the party with the most votes in any constituency automatically wins that seat. And that is a system which tends to favor the larger parties. It tends to pull votes away from the smaller parties and it tends to attract votes to the larger parties because people vote for the party that they think is most likely to get into power. It also means that the percentage swings required for the smaller parties, like, for example, the Liberal Democrats and the Brexit Party, needed in order to form a majority in the Commons are actually enormous. So it's really only when you start to get to 
23, 24, 25% of the vote that the Liberal Democrats really start to pick up seats in the House of Commons. The same thing is true of the Brexit Party. Only when the Brexit Party starts to get 15, 20, 25% share of the total vote do they really start to add seats in the Commons. So what that means is that votes for either of those parties could effectively split both the Remain and the Leave votes, depriving the Labour Party or the Conservative Party of a majority in a certain constituency and therefore making a hung parliament more likely. I would say the Brexit factor and the number of marginal seats in this election will increase the possibility of big swings against certain candidates and also dramatically increase the number of seats which change party affiliation. The other thing that is very clear in this situation is that if you're looking at it from the perspective of the Conservatives, they have an uphill battle to fight in order to win an outright majority of seats in the Commons. Now, it's very clear that the 2017 election left a lot of Labour seats where the current Labour MP has a narrow majority. So if the Tories can achieve a 10 to 20% swing in their favour, they can easily pick up 40 or 50 seats from Labour. But historically speaking, swings of 10 to 20% for the Conservative Party are not really very common at all. So a Conservative Party majority, it looks possible, but it also looks very difficult. So Stephen, quite a bit of uncertainty here with these big swing possibilities. How is this impacting the currency markets? In terms of how the current situation is impacting the currency markets, I think right now, probably with the pound trading between 128.50 and 129, what is priced in is an inconclusive result, but generally one that favors the Conservatives. So you might call it a hung parliament that leaves the Conservatives as the largest party in the House of Commons. I think what you need to watch over the coming weeks as we build up into the general election is whether or not the polls swing in one direction or another. So for example, if it looks like the Labour Party is really starting to close the gap with the Conservative Party, that will probably put downward pressure on the pound. The other thing to look out for is the Brexit party factor. They've been stabilizing in the polls recently, but if they start to gain ground again, if they start to pick up a larger share of the vote in the forthcoming polls, that would also probably put the pound under downward pressure. What's interesting, I think, is that currently the options market is skewed in favor of pound dollar puts at the one month and two month part of the curve. So at least in the FX options market, what investors are saying is that they're worried about an inconclusive result, which effectively puts downward pressure on sterling. So Stephen, as this plays out over the next month, what actually is the math and and what are the chances of an inconclusive result? So digesting the parliamentary math is a little bit complicated and it's not very straightforward. I will try to make it as simple as I can, at least from my understanding. There are 650 seats in total in the House of Commons, and those seats represent all parties in England, Scotland, Wales, and Northern Ireland. So therefore, a technical majority is 326 or 325 plus one. But as I said, parliamentary maths isn't that straightforward. You need to subtract four votes for all the speakers, the Speaker of the House and the three deputies, And also, depending on how many votes they win in the election, roughly eight votes for Sinn Féin, which is the Irish Republican 
party, which has seats in Westminster but doesn't actually vote, doesn't utilize those votes. So in reality, you're talking about a total number of votes or a total number of seats of something more like 638, so just under 640, which means that in reality, a workable majority is anything over 319 or around 320 seats. So as an example, if the Conservatives were to win 326 seats in the election, you subtract two speakers, you're left with 324 seats. The Conservatives, in that case, having 324, the opposition having around 305 seats would give the Conservatives a majority of around just under 20 seats, at least on Brexit legislation. So that would be the case as long as the swing against Labour is large enough and neither the Brexit Party nor the Liberal Democrats achieve big enough swings in their favors. So Stephen, it looks like a number of scenarios are possible. Can you summarize these scenarios and your outlook for currencies in each scenario? I think if you look at the scenarios facing Sterling on the outcome of this election on December 13th, 2019, I think there are probably three key scenarios that I can think of. The first would be a conservative majority of 20 or more seats. That would be the most pound positive scenario because it would provide a way forward on Brexit and it would provide the government with a workable and comfortable majority to get any subsequent legislation through next year. I think in that case, you would see cable trade up to 134, 135 before selling interest started to get involved again. The second scenario would be conservative majority of around zero to 10 seats. I would argue that just below 130 right now, cable is roughly priced for this scenario, all other things being equal in the FX world. So a conservative majority of nil or up to 10 seats would probably be sterling neutral to maybe slightly pound negative. It would raise the risk certainly for Boris Johnson. He might not be able to hang on as prime minister for very long in that scenario. It would probably raise the risk of Britain not leaving the European Union by the 31st of January. And of course, it would potentially be negative for the government's legislative agenda, getting that agenda through the commons. The third scenario, which I would refer to as the danger zone for both the UK and the pound, would be a scenario where the Conservatives get between 307 and 318 seats. And I'm being precise with these numbers because obviously a lot of assumptions have to be made regarding how many seats the opposition parties will get in this election given a conservative result of 307 to 318 seats. But assuming that the Conservative Party comes back with 307 to 318 seats, there's going to be a situation where neither the Conservative Party nor the opposition, in particular Labour, the Liberal Democrats and the Scottish Nationals and the Greens, are able to form a workable majority or agree a legislative agenda. So effectively, the country is in an even deeper state of economic and political paralysis. In this scenario, I would think it's very likely that we would have yet another election, probably by the spring of 2020, but maybe even sooner. Thank you, Stephen. So you know, what is the bottom line? Will Boris Johnson and his conservative party win the majority and push the Brexit agreement through? I think to answer your question, in terms of Boris Johnson's chances of a majority, certainly the chances are there. It is a possibility, but it is important to point out that there are a lot of moving parts in this election, more so than normal. And of course, the Brexit factor, the number of marginal seats, 
the swing factor, all of these things mean that this election is a lot more difficult to call than recent elections in the recent past for the UK. Well, certainly we're going to have an interesting five weeks ahead of us. Thank you for your insight, Stephen, and thank you for listening. This concludes Macro Horizons Brexit Flashcast, The Danger Zone. Thanks for listening to Macro Horizons. Please visit us at bmocm.com backslash macrohorizons. We'd like to hear what you thought of today's episode. You can send us an email at margaret.karens at bmo.com. You can listen to the show and subscribe on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast provider. And we'd appreciate it if you could take a moment to leave us a rating and a review. This show and resources are supported by our team here at BMO, including the FIC Macro Strategy Group and BMO's marketing team. This show is produced and edited by Puddle Creative. This podcast has been prepared with the assistance of employees of Bank of Montreal, BMO Nesbitt Burns Incorporated, and BMO Capital Markets Corporation. Together, BMO, who are involved in fixed income and foreign exchange sales and marketing efforts. Accordingly, it should be considered to be a product of the fixed income and foreign exchange businesses generally, and not a research report that reflects the views of disinterested research analysts. Notwithstanding the foregoing, this podcast should not be construed as an offer or the solicitation of an offer to sell or to buy or subscribe for any particular product or services, including, without limitation, any commodities, securities, or other financial instruments. We are not soliciting any specific action based on this podcast. It is for the general information of our clients. It does not constitute a recommendation or a suggestion that any investment or strategy referenced herein may be suitable for you. It does not take into account the particular investment objectives, financial conditions, or needs of individual clients. Nothing in this podcast constitutes investment, legal, accounting, or tax advice, or a representation that any investment or strategy is suitable or appropriate to your unique circumstances, or otherwise constitutes an opinion or a recommendation to you. BMO is not providing advice regarding the value or advisability of trading in commodity interests, including futures contracts and commodity options, or any other activity which would cause BMO or any of its affiliates to be considered a commodity trading advisor under the U.S. Commodity Exchange Act. BMO is not undertaking to act as a swap advisor to you or in your best interest in you, to the extent applicable, will rely solely on advice from your qualified independent representative in making hedging or trading decisions. This podcast is not to be relied upon in substitution for the exercise of independent judgment. You should conduct your own independent analysis of the matters referred to herein, together with your qualified independent representative, if applicable. BMO assumes no responsibility for verification of the information in this podcast. No representation or warranty is made as to the accuracy or completeness of such information, and BMO accepts no liability whatsoever for any loss arising from any use of or reliance on this podcast. BMO assumes no obligation to correct or update this podcast. This podcast does not contain all information that may be required to evaluate any transaction or matter, and information may be available to BMO and or its affiliates that is not reflected herein. BMO and its affiliates may have positions, long or short, and affect transactions or make markets in securities mentioned herein, or provide advice or loans to, or participate in the underwriting or restructuring of the obligations of issuers and companies mentioned herein. Moreover, BMO's trading desks may have acted on the basis of the information in this podcast. For further information, please go to bmocm.com slash macrohorizons slash legal. 